Howdy, everyone. This is week three of us going online only as a church. And I have to be honest with you today. I miss you. I mean, this is hard, right? I am so grateful for technology. I am so grateful for our production staff that brings me right into your living room, right into your kitchen, right to your device. But I miss singing with you. I miss shaking your hands and giving hugs. I miss you laughing out loud so I can hear it at my dumb jokes. I just miss you because I love you. And when you love someone, you want to connect. And we're seeing how technology is an incredible tool, but technology cannot replace the loving connections that we're so desperate for. Right now, we're kind of isolated, right? Socially isolated with our family. Some of you are maybe alone and you don't have anyone in your immediate circle. We're disconnected in many ways. Yes, technology connects us, but we want physical interaction. We want to hear each other, see each other, touch each other, and right now we can't, and that's hard because we love each other, and love wants to connect. Love also wants to do something else. Love also wants to seek justice. We don't talk about this much, but love longs for, wants justice. Here's kind of what I mean. You know, if someone you love is mistreated, what does that do to you? When someone you love is cut from the team they should have made, or they tried out for the play and they didn't make the play, when someone you love is abused or bullied, treated harshly, there's something inside you because you love them, your justice meter rises up and you want to defend them. That's a part of love. And just like we want to defend the people that we love, we want the people that say they love us to treat us justly, to treat us equitably, that when someone treats us justly, when someone treats us fairly, we know they care about us. We know they love us. And it's no surprise that we feel this. You see, God made us, and we're created in His image. And God is full of love and full of justice. Both things come together in God. You know, during this crazy pandemic. We've decided as a church family to lean into the who is the character of God. Who is God? What is His attributes like? What's He like? Who is He? To lean into His character and His attributes. That's what we've been studying together. And when you study God, you find out that His character is, yes, He loves us immensely, but He's also just in all His ways. We're going to lean into that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on or open them up to Acts 17. Okay, go get them. Go scramble. Go find them. Come back together in just a moment. Acts 17. You can get a paper copy. Certainly, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, you can download a copy of the Bible at, only, at every app store. So download a copy of the NIV Bible, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. So we're in this section of the Bible, and we've been talking about it for a number of weeks. It's really important that 
the context in which we talk today is built on talking about Acts 24 through 28 the last two weeks. So if you haven't watched those talks, I'd encourage you to go back and kind of get a bigger picture frame of reference to what I'm going to talk about today, that God is both loving and just. So let's review for a second, starting in Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own prophets have said, we are his offspring. So we learned a number of important things about God's character through this, that God has unlimited power and authority, and he gives us real choices. We've talked about this a lot, that God is both creator and Lord, and he sustains the world by giving us real choices. So God gives us a million choices in every chapter and season of our lives. And every day we can choose to be afraid or to have faith. We can choose to serve ourselves or to serve others. Every day, thousands of options, choices of how to think and how to act. These are given to us by God who loves us. We also learn that God wired us to seek connections. You know, our smartphones and tablets and computers are designed like us. Every time you bring your smartphone into a new place, it seeks Wi-Fi. It wants connection. That's how God wired you and me, that we want connection with other people, that we want to love people. We want to love God. We want to love something that's going to give us hope. We're wired this way to have relationships, and God uses every page and every chapter of our lives to invite us to connect with Him. He won't force us to connect with Him. He invites us to Himself, though He is not far from any one of us. We have a choice to love and honor Him or not. So Paul's teaching that God is creator of the universe. He's sustainer of the universe who gives us real choices invites us to love him, follow him. But let's look at one more aspect about his character here in Acts chapter 17, that God's love requires him also to be just. Acts 17 verse 29. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. Remember, Paul's talking to these people in Athens who are smart. They're scientific and philosophical, and they have space in their world for supernatural things. They think maybe there is a God, maybe there isn't a God. Maybe God cares, maybe God doesn't. And so in their ancient ways, they create out of metal and stone and wood, they create objects to worship, objects to honor. 
you know, we're way too sophisticated to make a god out of wood or stone, but we create objects to worship too. And Paul wants us to know that when our hope is in a limited creation rather than an unlimited God, we're going to be disappointed that when we fashion something, when we make a relationship, when we create success, when we seek after popularity, which is created, when we seek after health, which is created, when we seek after money, which is created, when we seek after power, which is created, these things become our gods. And we sacrifice to get more of these things we've created. Or we put our hope in religious tradition or religious rules, hoping these traditions or rules will appease God and make us feel better. Or we put our hope in science, thinking that we can figure it out, we can solve it with math or solve it with logic, making our brains our God. But when these things we put our hope in, these things we manufacture, we create, when these things let us down, what then? When religious tradition and religious institutions let you down, what do you do then? When people or power or money or popularity or health fails you, what then? When science doesn't have an answer, when logic and reason stops and can't solve the problem, what then? You see, when the object of your hope is the same as you, when the object of your hope is limited like you, it will let you down. It will disappoint you. Paul's teaching us that we're God's children, we're His offspring. That when we come to the end of our limits, God wants to scoop us up and catch us in His unlimited power. He says, come to me. I'm the only unlimited one. And then Paul makes this fascinating comment in verse 30. Look at what he says. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now God commands all people everywhere to repent. He says, in the past, when you created something to worship, when you made power or money or health or science, when you made these religious traditions your hope, when you created these things to worship and honor and sacrifice, in the past I overlooked that. Ah, you were ignorant. You didn't know any better. But now, he says, now you know. You know who is creator. You know who is sustainer. Now you're no longer ignorant. Now God commands people everywhere, Paul says, to repent. That's interesting. What does that mean? He says, in the past I overlooked your ignorance. Now I'm commanding you to repent. Here's what repentance means. It just means a 180 degree turn, a change of mind change of direction. You were going in this way. You were creating for yourself things to worship, to put your hope in, in science or philosophy, in money or education, in power or sex or alcohol or drugs. You put all your hope in these things, and they're not working, and now I'm commanding you to turn this way. 
turn from the way you've been thinking. God is creator and Lord. He wants a relationship with you. He commands you to repent, to turn 180 degrees away from the direction you were going to Him. Turn from your limited hope to an unlimited God. And He gives a reason. He gives a rationale in verse 31. If someone tells you to turn, stop going in this direction, start going in this direction, you better give me a reason. Because I'm going this way. Why should I go 180 degrees in the opposite direction? Paul tells us, verse 31, For God set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. Paul's laid out this rationale throughout Acts 17 that God is creator, that God is Lord, that God says this is my world. I put you here to serve and honor me, but I give you real choices. You can choose to serve and honor me or choose to reject me. You can do whatever you want, but I am not just creator. I am not just sovereign and Lord over this universe. I am also judge. And there is a calendar day, the Bible says, a day that will happen in history when God will judge the world. When you hear that, when you hear that God is going to judge the world, what does that make you think? What does that make you feel? I mean, it's kind of like, whoa, what? God's going to judge the world? What does that make you feel? What does it make you think? I think immediately I go, well, that's not fair. Like, who's God to judge me? And by what standard is God going to use to judge me? And I immediately go, that's not fair. By what standard? What gives him the right? And when you hear that God's going to judge the world, I think most of us get scared. I think most of us immediately feel a sense of fear because we know ourselves. We know ourselves better than anyone. We know that we're not perfect. And if we have any understanding of God, if we have any knowledge of who God is, we know that God is perfect in all His ways, and I am not perfect. So this whole idea of God judging me leaves me feeling uneasy. It leaves me feeling scared. And so I just don't want to think about it, right? So anything that makes me uneasy or scared, I just dismiss it because I, I don't want to think about this. It's too hard for me to think about this, too big, too confusing. So I don't want to think about the fact that there's a creator. I want to dismiss the fact that there's someone sustaining or holding this whole world together. And I certainly don't want to think about the fact that God is going to judge the world. So I sort of throw all of this God stuff out because I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm broken, and I don't want to be accountable to anyone. So the thought of God judging the world is scary, intimidating, and I just want to dismiss it and not think about it. Here's what's interesting. We're scared about God judging us. We don't want to think about God judging us, but we kind of want God to judge everyone else, right? I mean, think of it. Like, I want God to bring justice. I want God to make things right. I want the things that are wrong in our world, the people that have been abused, and mistreated, the people that have been sold into slavery, 
the people that have been bullied and harmed and beat up, I want them to be vindicated. I want God to make everything right. I want that to happen in this world, just not with me, God. Just don't judge me because I know what you're going to find here. You're going to find imperfection. You're going to find brokenness, impure motives. You're going to find that I'm a wreck. But, you know, God doesn't have to wait until judgment day to know my imperfections. He knows right now already that I am imperfect and broken. In fact, this is what the Bible says about every human in Romans chapter 3. It says there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the truth about each one of us. The there in us is me. It's you. We fall so short of God's perfect standard. He knows this about us. But rather than just throwing the world away, God is patient with us. He's loving towards us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. Some understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God understands. We overlook Him. We disregard Him. We push Him away. But He's patient now, wanting everyone to turn to Him Turn to Him as both loving and just. For God set a day when He will judge the world, verse 31 says, with justice by the man He has appointed. So there's a calendar day when God is going to judge the world. It's interesting. He set aside a day, but He's also appointed a judge, meaning there's already a judge waiting to do this. Like, is it Judge Wapner? Is it Judge Judy? I hope it's not Judge Judy, because sometimes she's ruthless. Man, oh man, I hope, please God, it's not Judge Judy. Who's the judge? He said a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed and has given proof to this to everyone by raising this judge from the dead. The man he appointed to judge the world has been raised from the dead. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. God appointed Jesus to judge the world. Okay, Jesus is the judge. What do we know about Jesus? So he comes to planet Earth, the Son of God. And this is mind-blowing. He's fully God, fully man, born of a virgin. He's a blue-collar guy, a carpenter for 30 years, making things with his hands. When he's 30 years old, he starts to walk around his region and tell people about the kingdom of God. He's got the power and authority of God that when he speaks, 
He speaks with such grace and truth that he fully embodies all of who God is in the flesh so that people are magnetized. They want to hear Jesus speak. They want to understand what Jesus says. And Jesus heals the sick. And people from all stripes, rich and poor, young and old, even sinful people, prostitutes and drunks and thieves, people that are known in society to choose bad things, these people all flock to Jesus because he's embodying fully the love of God and the truth of God. You see, God knows that we're sinful and imperfect. We don't have to hide or we don't have to wait for him to find that out someday. He knows it already. And instead of avoiding us or instead of just sentencing us all to hell, annihilating the planet and starting over, God sent his perfect son to rescue us. John, Jesus' best friend, writes this in 1 John 2, verse 1. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So God sent Jesus. He knew that we were broken and sinful. He knew we would use our choices to disobey and disregard God. But he loves us so much that he sends Jesus to the world. Jesus came to die to pay for our sins, and he rose again to prove his power. He's the only perfect man qualified to judge us. He lived a perfect life and died an innocent death and rose again to prove he is the perfect judge. Judge Jesus is qualified to judge me and to judge you because he is loving and just. He is powerful and gentle. You see, God put us on earth to choose to love and obey him. We choose not to love and obey God. And every moment of every day when I choose not to obey and honor God, I rack up a bill. This daily, moment-by-moment bill that builds up every day and every month and every year, the receipt of this bill has all my sin and shame of every moment of my life. And when I stand before God with the bill of my sin and my shame, and I have to give an answer for this long bill of sin and shame. Is God just going to be loving and go, you know what, Joe, I I know you didn't mean it. You're kind of a good guy. You tried your best. On your bill, you did some kind of good things. I'm just going to overlook this. I'm just going to disregard it. Would that be okay? Would that be fair? Would that be just for him to just look the other way? No, he is just in all his ways, and he knows that I'm going to rack up this long bill my entire life. He loves me so much that he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus to live perfectly and die innocently. When Jesus was nailed to a cross, he paid for my bill of sin and shame 
with His own blood. When He was nailed to the cross, the wrath, the hatred of God for all sin, past, present, and future for the entire human race, was placed upon the shoulders of innocent Jesus. Jesus' body, His soul and spirit took upon it the wrath of God to pay the bill, my bill and your bill. And Jesus rose again from the dead and offers you and me life so that when it's time to stand before the judge, it's not my bill that's going to be good enough to get me into God's eternal presence. Instead, it's the perfect life of Christ, the perfect Lamb who was slain, who died and rose again and says, I'll pay for your bill. The debt has been paid so that if you put your trust in Jesus, you don't have to fear judgment day. The bill is paid. The debt is done. The crimes and sin and shame have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Will you accept His payment? Will you accept it and say, I need you to pay for my sin and shame? Because if you do, then you're forgiven. If you do, you have guarantee of life with God now and forevermore through Christ. I mean, this is great news. Paul's saying to the people in Athens 2,000 years ago when he spoke these words, and he's saying to us in 2020, wake up, everyone. Sober up, everyone. The God who made this world, the God who sustained this world, is giving you and me choices. Choices to love God or reject God. Choices to follow God or to not follow God. And one day he will judge this world world, and we will have to give an account for our lives and our bank account, our science, our logic, our health, our popularity, our religion won't cut it on that day. When you're judged, the only thing that will give you peace before a holy God and will pay your bill is hope in Jesus. He's the only hope. Romans 3 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. I believe He did this to demonstrate His righteousness or His justice because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness or His justice at the present time so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So faith in Jesus is the game changer. Those who call on Jesus don't have to fear. What does this mean for you and me right here, right now? Here's what it means. COVID-19 is a reality check. This whole season for our world is a reality check. None of us want to hear this, 
But this virus is getting our attention, isn't it? I hope it's getting your attention. It's getting mine. What's important to you? I mean, this season is giving you the chance to say what's important and what's not important. What are you living for? What are you putting your hope in? What do you put your trust in? When things are going really well, when money is good and job is good and relationship is good, what do you put your trust in? When money's not good, when job's not good, when relationships are not good, when health is not good, what do you put your trust in? This season is giving us the chance to sober us up, to wake us up to what is most important. Paul is saying God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's giving you choices, but God's love requires justice. There will be a day that we stand before Jesus, and we don't have to fear that day. We can have confidence on Judgment Day because of our faith in Jesus. If you rise and fall by your own strength, if you rise and fall by your own abilities, if you rise and fall by your own science and own logic, if you rise and fall by the abilities, the logic, the science of others, when those limited things fail, what do you do then? God's one and only Son, Jesus, is offered to you to give you confidence and peace and forgiveness. He paid your bill so that you could have life and peace and hope. Paul is not teaching these things to scare anyone. And I am not teaching this right now to scare anyone. But this is a sobriety check. This is a wake-up call. In some ways, this is a stress test to see where you are, where you stand, where your hope is. For many of us, many of you that are watching, you've put your hope and trust in Jesus. You, you say to people, I'm not afraid of dying because I know Jesus. And I know that when I stand before God, I have Jesus and He paid my bill. We say the right thing that we have hope beyond the grave, but this COVID-19 has many Christians frantic. It has this Christian frantic. If God loved you so much to nail His Son to a cross, to pay for your sin, to pardon you and give you peace for eternity, then do you think He cares about you now? Listen to what Romans 8 continues to say. It says, what then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to verse 32. It says, he who did not spare his one and only son, but gave him up for us all, how will God not also along with him graciously give us all things? So Christian, son or daughter of Almighty God today, if God has taken care of you eternally, will He not also take care of you in the here and now? And yet I'm so worried about money 
I'm so worried about job. I'm so worried about health. I'm so desiring to get back to normal. You see, with Jesus, you have everything you need for today and everything you need for judgment day. It's all wrapped together in Christ. You have everything you need. So we need to encourage each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to support and remind each other that in Christ we have everything we need for this life and the life to come. Are you confident in yourself? Or are you confident in Jesus? When things are normal and going well, where's your confidence? When this drags on another day or another week or a month, where's your confidence? When you're going stir-crazy and you want to get away from anybody in your home, where's your confidence? If this turned right now and there was a vaccine that made all this go away, where's your confidence? Where's your confidence today? Because if it's in your own abilities, your own abilities are limited. If it's in the abilities of our medical community, if your confidence is totally in the medical community or in the political community or in the economic realities, these things are all limited, but God is unlimited. Where's your confidence today? Would you pray with me? God, I admit to you and confess in front of all my friends watching online that I have been frantic, I have been anxious, I have been afraid. You are our anchor. I say to you, I preach that you are our only hope, and yet the reality of my life is that I'm nervous anxious and afraid, and I just want everything to be all right with the people in the hospital. I just want people with this sickness to be healed. I just want everything to go back to normal. I just want economics to be good. I just want people, my family, to be at peace. Right now, we wait, we watch, we struggle. We fear. Do you want us to lift our eyes to who you are? You love us and you're also just. You will make everything right and new. You'll do it some way, somehow, someday. But today we need confidence. And the only confidence we can find is through you. So we bring ourselves to you. Right now there are people watching this that have yet to put their trust in you. And maybe they're hearing for the first time that there will be a day they have to answer to you. I pray that they would hear that you love them and that you want to offer them forgiveness and peace. You have paid for their sins on the cross of Jesus Christ and proved his power by raising him from the dead. So God, I pray that any person who doesn't know you, listening, watching this right now, that they would call out to you and put their hope in Jesus and that they would immediately discover peace and joy that's unlimited. God, for those of us who know you and trust you, I pray that the trust that we have for Judgment Day, the trust that we have for beyond the grave would invade our daily lives now, give us peace, protect us, watch over us, 
Help our national and local leaders. Help our healthcare professionals here and around the globe. Sustain those who are sick. Heal those who are struggling. I pray this all in the powerful name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.